Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue with our Lenten series titled The Cross, the Tomb, the Way. We have with us today Pastor Jaren Nicholas sharing God's word with us on Jesus our only redeemer. Jesus said he was the light of the world and also said that he was the living water. Both these analogies have far greater ramifications than we could ever imagine. The work of redemption that he brought about for the whole world and for us personally is unparalleled and undisputed. Will you ask God to open your heart to his redemptive work in you as you listen to this message? Hello everybody. It is good to be with you. So I get to share with you today from scripture and I am really looking forward to this. It's been a while since I've done this, so it is very exciting, a little nerve-wracking, but most of it excitement. So I know we are in this uh, season of Lent right now, and with each passing day, we are building up to Easter. Um, I have always looked forward to Easter. It is one of our most important celebrations, uh, festivals, if you could call it. Um, it is, to me, maybe it's to all of you as well, it's a yearly reminder of uh, our God's love and also our God's victory, but also so many more things. But that's the two things that come to my mind. And uh, given that Easter is what we're moving towards uh, and it being one of the biggest I guess, Christian celebrations, festivals we could have. I thought it would be pretty interesting to have a look at one important festival or celebration during the time of Jesus. So I think um, that's where we're headed today. And also not just the festival, but also his uh, actions around the festival, because those are what that is what's significant and that's what we'll focus on today. So there are two key verses um, that we will focus on. The first is John chapter 7, 37 uh, to 38. And the second is John chapter 8, uh, verse 12. So, so John chapter 7, 37 and 38 reads, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John eight twelve reads, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So two key verses in John, two very important verses in John, but to really understand the impact or of what Jesus's proclamation is, it is important to see the wider context where these verses are set in. So the wider context is, I mean, of course, the chapters 7 and 8, but also the wider context that is set by John himself. So when uh, we see at the start of chapter 7, Jesus' brothers requesting him to go to the Feast of the Booths. So this is the wider context, this festival in which these chapter seven and eight are set okay so it uh, is really cool that uh, john has when he wrote the gospel was very clear in setting this out because it is very significant so 
when his brothers request him to go to the festival, he initially refuses. But then you see, he says, my time has not yet come. He tells them to go along, but he's not going to go. So, but then you see in verse 14 that he decides to go up to Jerusalem, or I believe it says Judea. And it says that he went up in the middle of the feast. So what is this festival of booths that initially Jesus said, my time has not yet come, and then he decides to go. So what is this festival? So it is the setting for the entire passage, like I mentioned, between 7 and 8 and probably a little bit later on as well. I mean, a little bit further on as well. And then, so it is this festival of boots. It's also called the festival of tabernacles, or another word for it is Sukkot. So what is this festival? So it is a celebratory festival. So... Um, and that's significant because not all Jewish feasts and, celeb- and uh, festivals were a jubilant celebratory in nature. Some were pretty solemn, like Passover, when you're remembering the time in Egypt. But this is uh, a different demeanor. There's a lot of celebration, a lot of jubilation. So uh, it was celebrated around the months of our months of September, October. Um, it was quite a long feast or festival. It would normally last about uh, seven days. And depending on who you read, there is an additional eighth day that is related or not related. But it definitely lasted at least for seven days. And this festival has a few uh, layers of meaning, if you could say. It's not just significant for one particular reason, but there are different caveats to this festival. So most of the meaning does revolve around this word boots or tabernacles. So what is boots or tabernacles referred to in the frame of this festival? So boots means or tabernacles, it refers to a temporary shelter or quite literally it's a tent. So it is the festival of tents, if you could say that. So why tents? So firstly, tents because... um, this festival takes place around the fall harvest. So farmers would build temporary shelters on their fields uh, to live in and protect their harvest. So when the crop was full, about to be harvested, they would build tents, stay on their field to protect their crops so that they could be harvested. So that is one. So in going with that meaning, it was a festival to celebrate the harvest, when celebrated the har- in celebrating the harvest, also thanking God for the plentiful harvest because he's the one that's provided it. So um, that is uh, one level that of meaning that this festival was celebrated for is the plentiful harvest. So another reference to boots or tents or tabernacles is when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, right? So... In the past, in my naive, in my, I guess, ignorance or naiveness, I have envisioned a small set of people aimlessly walking in the desert and sleeping on the sand. But in reality, this was a huge sea of people, right? Walking through the desert and they needed shelter. So they would build tents to shelter in, to sleep at night. So this was also a celebration that uh, was remembering their time in the wilderness. So boots for the harvest because farmers would build 
these tents in the field and then tents also remembering Israel, Israel's time in the wilderness as they were wandering for 40 years. So we have those two levels of meaning, right? So now that is the overall um, setting for this festival. There are a couple significant things that we go over in just a moment, but just want to give you a picture of what this festival means, why it was celebrated. And uh, so it's remembering, it's thanking God for the harvest, but as well as looking back in and remembering the time in the wilderness. Okay. So now we come up to the first verse. It's John chapter 7, verse 37 and 8. So I'm going to read it again. So now, uh, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So it says he cried out. So he is making a proclamation. So why does he choose to make this proclamation right now with the backdrop of this festival? He just said something similar. If you turn your pages back to chapter four, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, he says something similar about uh, living water. So why does he choose to bring, him up, bring it up again? And why is he proclaiming this? So during the festival of booths or tabernacles, there was a ceremony called a water ceremony. So during the water ceremony, each day, a procession of priests would walk down to the southern border of the city. And at the southern border of the city was a spring called the Gihon Spring. So when they walked down, the procession, once they reached the spring, uh, a priest would um, fill a golden pitcher with water from the spring. And as he was filling this pitcher, a choir would uh, chant or sing out, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So this is happening. So, And then once he fills this golden pitcher, uh, this procession proceeds to go back up the hill, back to the temple, to the city. So... And as this procession of priests was walking with the water back to the temple, they would be followed by a crowd um, waving branches uh, that are celebrating or in jubilation. So once they arrived at the temple, uh, the priest would walk up to the altar and he would pour the water onto the altar uh, while the crowd were singing. So again, this theme of celebration, jubilation comes up. So, so this happened once a day, the first six days. Now, on the seventh day, something very interesting happens. Uh, this water ceremony where they walk to the spring, collect water, and come back to the altar happens seven times. So you can just imagine the frenzy of activity if you were to do this back and forth seven times on one given day. So that this is the backdrop that is there. And in the midst of this in the background or in the midst of this context, that's the proclamation Jesus says where he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So why talk about water while this water ceremony is a, is a significant part of the festival? So what did the water ceremony represent? Um, one, it was... More, it was an offering for good rains. So they were offering 
water up in the altar as an offering for good rain so they will continue to have good harvest in the future. Um, so, so going back to the Festival of Boots as a remembrance of their time in the wilderness. So this water ceremony is a remembrance of when God provided them with water. Uh, there are at least two occasions that the water came out, came forth from a rock. So they were remembering that provision of water. And uh, it, it was also a ritual that reminded uh, people about the prophecies in uh, uh, Zechariah 14 and Ezekiel 7. So in Zechariah 14, verse 8, it says, um, it talks about water flowing out from Jerusalem. So on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And then Ezekiel 47 says something similar, but in reference to the temple. It says that uh, there'll be water flowing from the temple in all directions. And wherever the water flows, it makes everything fresh and it makes ev all things live, life-giving. So a uh, couple Old Testament references that, uh, are, that are showcased here in this ritual where they remember these prophecies. So... At the center of this water ceremony, it seems that uh, there are two things. One is Jerusalem, the city, and uh, one is the temple. So why doesn't Jesus uh, just point to the, wa the water in the altar or the water as the priests are carrying up and tell people to drink it to be satisfied? Why? Rather than point to the water um, at the altar or as the priests are carrying it, he comes and says, come to me and drink, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Why this statement at this time with this backdrop, right? So this is what it seems like Jesus is doing. So he is proclaiming that uh, he is the fulfillment of this water ceremony, in a sense. So they are remembering the water coming out of the rock. And then in his proclamation, he's saying that I am this living water. As they look at the water ceremony and keeping in mind that um, it centers around the temple and Jerusalem. So if you could say these were like their focal points of uh, redemption, the temple was the focal point of redemption, right? So... Jesus is taking the attention when he says that he is come to him and drink so that and you'll have living water. So come to him and drink. He is taking that attention, that focus away from the temple, right? And putting it on himself. So he's a fulfillment of that. So the temple is no longer this focus of redemption. He is the focus of redemption. This temple is a false redemption and he's reminding people that he is the true redemption. So in saying all these things, he is stating that he is greater than everything that they're celebrating with this water ceremony. He is uh, greater than the water that came out of the rock. He is uh, greater than the temple, that uh, you are looking forward to this temple as, uh, giving of, as the giver of this life-giving water. But... That is a false redemption that you put your hope in. I am the true redemption. 
come to me and drink. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. So he is proclaiming this in the midst of all this is happening, right? So as water is the focal point in this celebration, he turns it on his head and says, I am come to me if you're thirsty and out of you will flow rivers of living water is a very significant time for him to stand up and make the proclamation while they are celebrating, while they are um, looking forward to, um, to these prophecies in Zechariah and Ezekiel coming to fulfillment at some point. And then Jesus in the midst of this stands up and says, look to me, come to me, because I am the fulfillment of all these things that you're celebrating, right? I am the true redemption. It is not the temple. It is so out of me, right? Come to me and drink. Come to water that I have, not the water at the temple. Come to the water I have. So that makes what he says very significant. So we're going to move on from water as a theme to something to light as a theme in just a moment. So Jesus says, states, in 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So just like we talked about why make the statement that he come to him and drink, why then we ask the same question, why the proclamation now? Why this proclamation that I am the light of the world <clears throat> during this festival? So, just like water was an integral part uh, of this uh, festival celebration, uh, light was an integral part of this celebration as well. So as part of this festival, uh, there would be 16 large oil lamps that were set up in the court of women in the temple. So four lamps in each corner. And these are not our regular oil lamps that you might have seen I'm not sure when the last time I saw an oil lamp was probably in your grandparents' house or something like that. So the, these were large scale. The only thing I can think of reference to you is like stadium lights during a cricket match, right? When they come on, they flood the whole thing. So this is, think about a first century version of stadium lights. Okay, these were large, large oil lamps. They were golden bowls on top of uh, tall stands. Uh, the stands were so tall that you needed a ladder to climb up to fill it with oil. So, so we have 16 of these lamps, four in each corner in the temple. And historically, historical accounts or accounts from um, rabbis are that, that uh, when these lamps were lit, uh, all of Jerusalem was illuminated, that there was not a single courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect this light. So they were bright. Um, they were uh, significant. So, what did this? So, why was this light part of this uh, festival? What did the light represent? So, going back to remembering the time in the wilderness, so the light uh, represented the pillar of fire that God had provided for the time in the wilderness. That was a, a light that was warmth. So, it remembers that. Um, it also goes back to the prophecy in Zechariah verse six. So, water was verse eight. So, Zechariah. 14 verse 6 says on that day there shall be no light cold or frost and there shall be a and there shall be a unique day which is known to the lord neither day nor night but at evening time there shall be light 
So this is referring to lighting the lamps in the evening. And light is also in reference to the Torah or the law. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible or the law given to the Israelites. So uh, if you remember uh, that uh, that very, uh, I guess, famous verse that we all learned, uh, Psalms 119, verse 108, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So uh, the law that God had given them is light as well. So again, several layers of meaning that we like we saw with the water. So there is uh, the pillar of fire, um, the prophecy from Zechariah, as well as uh, light uh, being represented at light as representing the law, the Torah. So in so this as again the background, Jesus declares that uh, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in dark darkness, but will have the light of life. So just like with the water ceremony where he was claiming to replace it, to fulfill it, to be greater than those things they were celebrating, here with this proclamation, he's doing the same thing. So he is uh, claiming to be, uh, of course, greater than the pillar of light that uh, God provided. Uh, in the wilderness. He is uh, claiming that he is greater than the light that they're celebrating uh, when they remember the uh, prophecies from Zechariah and that he is uh, the fulfillment or greater than the light that uh, they represent as the law. So again, in this background where the light stands for something that uh, Jewish people hold close, he stands up and says, I am the light. So he's proclaiming that he is uh, the fulfillment of the law, that he is greater, that uh, that people should look to him. So once again, as we see that uh, he is taking the focus again away from uh, the temple as redemption, that it's a false redemption, but he's a true redemption here, he's doing the same thing. So for all the people who put their hope in the law, he is stating by what it says that it is a false redemption and to look to him, the true redemption, the true hope. So it, it is to me, I just find this very, very, very interesting because Jesus is here. And as these two activities are taking place, he stands up and he proclaims, look at me, forget about the things that are going on, forget about this water ceremony that you're so enamored with, forget about this light that is so significant for you, but look at me. I am greater than these things. I am the fulfillment of these things. So Jesus is proclaiming to everybody that he is the Messiah. But as he makes these proclamations with the backdrop, backdrop of, these, uh, of this significant um, Jewish festival and these significant ceremonies, uh, do the people around him get it? How do they respond? So if you read the few verses after uh, John 7, 37, 38, you'll see that there were, <clears throat> it's not, it's mixed responses. So some say that he is a prophet. So not really Messiah, but maybe a prophet. Some commit fully and say he is the Messiah. And some others just reject him. So we have someone saying he's a prophet, not really committing 
uh, some people saying he's the Messiah, fully committing, and then some people just rejecting. And then after his proclamation that he is the light, we see a similar trend. Some people come to believe in him, but other people, rather than believe, they debate him. So they go back and forth arguing with him. How can you say these things? So, and arguing what his origin is. So I think for us today, we don't live in first century Israel. Um, there is no temple. We are not celebrating uh, this festival of boots or festival of tabernacles. So how is this passage significant to us? Like, so what might be something that we can gain from it? So one thing is clear that even in the midst of our lives, I think Jesus is standing and crying out and proclaiming that uh, he is the light that he is the light in our lives, that he is the light of the world, and that he is the source of living water. So, now how do you go? So, okay, but what does it really mean? Well, just like he stood up in the midst of those uh, ceremonies and he proclaimed these things, telling, just showing people to him away from their false redemptions, away from their what they thought was redemption uh, through the law or redemption to the temple is pointing to me, pointing to himself. So in our lives, as he is standing up and proclaiming these things, oh, what are these false redemptions that he's calling us from, right? What are, or more so, as we go through lives, what are these false redemptions that we are holding on to that Jesus is standing up in the midst of those things and proclaiming that he is the light, that he is the giver of living water, and he's drawing us to him. So how, and like thinking about this, like how often um, do we go look, do we go looking at other things when Jesus in our, is in our midst, right? Because if you look at the responses from the people to Jesus, you can probably think about our responses to him so when we have something that we are putting our hope in that's not jesus pop up uh, in our lives and we're happy to hold on to it when jesus comes in and proclaims that he is the light that he is the hope that we should be putting our faith in how do we respond are we like the people that say okay uh maybe like the people that say he was a prophet and just keep moving on are we the people that uh, reject it? Are we the people that debate it and say, uh, maybe not really true. Maybe this is really not him. Maybe this is not really Jesus proclaiming. Maybe it's something else. And I'm going to hold on to this false hope. Or are we going to believe his word and embrace him rather than this uh, the false hope that, I mean, this false redemption that we're holding on to? So, as I was reading this and studying it, I think the thought that came to my mind that uh, I was drawn to was um, what are, so I um, believe in Jesus and I know that uh, he is our savior. He is the son of God sent who was uh, crucified, died, 
buried and then he was resurrected. So I know that I have put my hope in him in terms of uh, my salvation, in terms of uh, that. But although we have committed our lives to follow him, there are always moments that come up where, at least in my life, where I feel like I have put my hope in the law or I've put my hope in the temple. Not literally, but just as figuratively in the sense that there's something else that has crept up in my life that I have put my hope in that is truly a false redemption, something that has no, cannot redeem me in any way. So when we are thirsty, do we go to these um, false redemptions? Are we going to the temple to get a sip of water? Uh, a place that can not satisfy? Or are we going to the true redemption uh, that is Jesus? So when there is darkness that I have, that either I come to face in my own life um, for light to illuminate that darkness, do I go to the temple with its bright light that maybe last for a few hours or do i go to jesus who is the light of the world who is the true light who is the source of all light so and i think these moments come up throughout our lives i think there's our i mean our marriages our parenting our finances, anything you can think of. I think uh, these are places where Jesus is standing and uh, proclaiming that uh, he is the true redemption and uh, proclaiming and drawing us away from any false redemptions that we're holding on to. Uh, Even while I was uh, preparing this message, uh, uh, when Gershom and Tina asked if I I would do this. I said, yes. Um, There was a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, nerves as well. And as I was preparing, the initial um, temptation, if I could, was was for me to say something uh, profound, say something very interesting. I figured I was doing this topic of light. I am a science tutor. That is my uh, profession during the day. So I like science. I thought maybe I will start talking about the science of light and the science of darkness and do something very interesting that will draw people in and then I can change their lives. Okay. So this was my stream of thought. I was going through it. And as I was reading more and studying more about this uh, passage and when I came to that, uh, I was reading a book and it said that word false redemption. And it I had to pause for a moment and think, and it really felt like God was pointing to that moment where I had been telling myself that I am going to deliver this uh, message to change people's lives. So I, myself, in my thought, had become a false redemption for the people hearing this. You know what I mean? So like, so even in those small moments, Christ was crying out that uh, he is the light, not me. He is. So once I had that thought, then I changed the way I approached this uh, and I want to let the scripture do the talking and not me. So just to wrap up and summarize. So 
we have Christ uh, in the setting in first century Jerusalem in the midst of this jubilant celebration of God's faithfulness in the harvest, of them remembering their time in the desert. Um, he is uh, standing up in their midst and telling them to stop focusing on these false redemptions that they put their hope in uh, and to look to him who was the true redemption, to look to him for living water, to look to him as a source of light, to look to him so they can no longer walk in darkness but can walk in light. So now in our lives, where are these moments that uh, we have put our hope in false redemptions? Where are these moments that we have put our hope in something that doesn't deserve our hope, that has no way of redeeming us? So in where are these moments where Christ is standing up and proclaiming that he is the giver of living water, he is the source, that he is the source of light? And in those moments, how are we responding? When he stands up and proclaims that he is the light, uh, when we parent our children, how are we responding? Um, when he stands up and proclaims that he is our light, uh, when uh, it concerns our attitudes and our motives, how do we respond? Um, when we look to our spouse as uh, life or as the giver of uh, living water many times. And when Christ stands up and says, not your spouse, but me, I am the giver of uh, source of living water. How do we respond? So I think as we go through this week, as we look forward to Easter coming up, I think the question I want to leave all of you with this, when Jesus stands in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life and proclaims that I am the light or come to him and drink uh, so that uh, you will have rivers of uh, living water flow. What is our response? Is our response going to be, he is the Christ, that you are the Messiah? Yes. Is our response going to be, maybe you're a prophet? Okay. Or uh, no. So, what is our response? Okay. Let me go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this time that uh, we can come together and uh, focus on uh, a scripture, Lord, that you have given us uh, to act as a guide to you, to reveal you, Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for reminding us to look to you always. Thank you for reminding us today that... Uh, there is uh, no other redemption in our life except the redemption offered by you, Lord. That there is no other water that can quench our thirst except the water that is offered by you. That there is no other light that can uh, take away the darkness except uh, the light that is your Father. So Lord, as we go through this week um, and look forward to Easter, this time we ask that you would stand up and proclaim yourself as light in our lives. And uh, things where we have put our hope in something else, we ask that you would stand up and say, come and drink from you, Lord, that we would that you are the light, and that when you make these proclamations, Lord, that we would respond in faith, and that we would come to you, and that uh, 
we would say, yes, Lord, you are our hope. You are the true redemption. And that we would follow you in that, Lord. So, Father, give us uh, uh, give us the ability to do that. It is difficult many times when you proclaim for us to come and fully commit, Lord. So we ask that you would give us the strength, that you would lead us, and that uh, when you stand up and proclaim that in no matter what area of our lives, Lord, that uh, we would turn and commit to you and follow you. Father, once again, we're so grateful that uh, we can gather as uh, believers in you and that uh, we can share in our in this community of believers as well. Lord. So we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you for uh, this church at We Are Zion. We thank you for this community. Um, we thank you for the way you're using them. And we thank you for the way that uh, you are leading us as a community as well. So Father, once again, we are so grateful to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.